0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman and this week I spoke with composer and multi-instrumentalist Will Bates who also runs Fall on Your Sword, Will's commercial music production company based in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Alongside the success of Will's commercial work, he has also collaborated with numerous film directors including Alex Gibney on such films as We Still Secrets, The Story of Wikileaks, Going Clear, Scientology in the Prison of Belief, and director Mike Cahill on his films Another Earth and I Origins. We had a fantastic talk about his creative and collaborative process and dive into the technical aspects of running a music production, scoring, and audio post-production company. I hope you enjoy. How recent did you update your space? Is that a recent endeavor or?
1: Yeah, so I mean we built Fall on Your Sword. Um, the studios kind of came into existence around the same time that the company did, about six years ago. Um, before that and and continually it's a sort of audio kind of visual art project, video art project that um, we kind of continue to do as well. But. But yeah, so we built the first studio, which is this one, and then we kind of expanded laterally, like every year we've been fortunate enough to be able to take over the space next door. We just built our third studio, um, which, is, which we opened in the summer. So it's a much larger studio than any of the other studios here. It's, it's um, wired for Dolby Atmos, actually. So right now it's one, but we're kind of like pretty much ready to install the Atmos. It's the next phase of our build out, but we just wanted to kind of get going and get working.
0: What was the reason for going in that direction? Do you have a lot
1: of projects that are Yeah, looking- I mean, we really, we kind of, obviously the company really began as a music production endeavor, like the, the umbrella for me to do all of my different projects and film scoring or the live band or the art stuff or scoring commercials or whatever. And then as we kind of got more into that, we started doing a little bit of sound design and a little bit of mix as well. So we built another studio that was, it's called The Forge, which is a, also a Dolby room that, um, they came in tuned. We built that a couple of years ago, and we started to offer like package deals for filmmakers. So we would do like the the mix, the sound design, and the score, and the music supervision for for a, you know an indie film. So we did that with a lot of like Sundance movies over the last couple of years. Okay. And as we started to get more into that world, we started to find that it just naturally started to separate a little bit, like I would start, I'm scoring movies that don't necessarily want to mix here or whatever, and, and vice versa, so we started to kind of consider that as a new wing for the business, so we built a much larger room to kind of accommodate that growth, so that's um that's the idea. So it's really, I you know, it's funny because initially I think we had the idea that we'd be able to double it as a scoring stage as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love the idea of like pulling a proper John Williams, it's big enough to like have a, a small orchestra in there as well. Uh-huh. A big board that we built. This my wife uh, is a painter and a designer and whatnot. And she built this beautiful table that the board lives in that can kind of lift onto the back riser, which was the idea until we bought this enormous couch.
0: So,
1: <laughs> it's like the biggest silliest couch. Is in, this that, that the white the white couches you in the gallery? And that thing ain't going nowhere. So yeah. I think the idea of of uh, using it as a scoring stage will probably sit on the back burner until the right project comes along and we decide that we're ready to move the couch out for a second. There's,
0: there's always that question of the ratio of gear to couch space. You know, yeah we went a little hard on the extreme. Yeah, so um, let, let's let's take a step back before obviously where we are today. Um, where were you before you were in Williamsburg? Um, where, were, where have you been kind of pulling um, up in?
1: Blimey, uh, well before that I was, I had a studio in a larger, in like a commercial music house where I was scoring commercials as a sort of day job. I left England um, 13 years ago and when I was there, I mean, God, I don't know, I was doing kind of everything. I started out as a jazz musician um, who kind of discovered techno um, and I started releasing records in England and then I came to America to start a punk band or like a post-punk band, I guess you'd call it. So it's sort of a little bit all over the place, but that entire time I've always had this fascination with music to picture. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get a job here, um, scoring commercials and I like, got like sponsored, got a visa and all that stuff. So um, so I worked there for about five or six years and did pretty well and won some awards for the company that I was working for and like got my, got my chops, so to speak. But, um, but I was always very frustrated by, I was also beginning to score movies and, and shorts and little, you know, smaller projects. And I would have to do those in the evening, you know, like pull the kind of late night sessions so that I could do the day job. And it was always quite frustrating for me that those two things are very separate. Um, so after being at that company for a while, I, I left the mothership, so to speak, to start my own place. And the idea really from the beginning was always to have that kind of cross-pollination to be able to do, like, do some commercials and also do lots of movies and have everything kind of interact a lot more, as opposed to them being totally separate.
0: Yeah, well, did you have the mentality, like, you know, if we build it, they will come, that that you, you were assuming that, you know, with the right tools and the space, that you would then be able to help make those relationships, or did you already have relationships at that point?
1: I already had relationships, and I left with, so the producer who was at that company is now my business partner here, Lucy, so kind of, we started this whole thing together by kind of, you know, she had been producing at that company as well, so she had a lot of relationships, and I knew a few people, and when we left, it was sort of like, you know, nothing. Yeah, I mean, it was also, it was a little while ago, and it was, I mean, it was, what, six years ago, and it was still that point where... We were concerned about enticing clients across the river, which now seems so ludicrous. We're right. in the most expensive part of New York. It feels like, <laughs> um, but you know, we're here in Williamsburg, and you know, the fact that you can sort of see the bridge from our studios is definitely helpful to people that had a problem with crossing the river at first. Certainly in that in the ad world, not so much in. The- I, don't,
0: I think that's the case anywhere you're. At. I mean, I'm, I'm here in San in the Bay Area, in the East Bay. People don't want to come across from San Francisco. They just, you know, there's like. I mean, that's like you guys
1: invented gentrification.
0: <laughs> Gan- Gandalf, I think, is at the toll plaza telling people <laughs> to turn around, basically. You pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what what to you feels like that milestone project? When did you realize that you're going to be able to keep the lights on? That you were going to have an opportunity to, you know, make make it work? Um,
1: you know, I guess it was kind of instantaneous I mean it's such a it's an up and down game it really is like it's feast or famine in what we do and and it's lucky that we're able to kind of jump around different disciplines and I can do a movie and then I can do a bunch of spots we also have like 15 composers who write for us to generally take care of just the commercials and then I generally take care of just the films um but we didn't really oh I certainly didn't have a choice it just had to work there's no other you know it was like all in so Mm. and uh I think that you know starting a business—that's kind of what you have to do. You just sort of have to throw everything at it. And it's funny, having just had a kid, I feel like I have two babies now. You know, it's like fall on your sword. Who's uh, just learning to read, maybe?
0: (laughs) What um, and I guess what was the the decision? You know, obviously. To go down the route of, of representing yourself as Fall on Your Sword versus Will Bates, but well, I also see like when I was looking on iTunes that you, sometimes you take credit for Fall on Your Sword, and sometimes it's Will Bates. What's the different differentiation yeah, I, there? I,
1: you know, it sort of it, it changes all the time. But really, the idea initially was that at the time of the the company being born, it seemed to make sense to cash in on some of the notoriety that we got from the from the Shatner videos, and okay. if you've seen that YouTube stuff, we oh, are, yeah. A couple million hits of that you know when we opened um, and also there was a Clio that I won at the other company that I attributed to Fall on Your Sword um, so th- there was lots of reasons to kind of continue the legacy and also I have just been doing it for a while I guess at this point um, I in order to sort of distinguish the two you know I still I still want it to be this kind of cross-pollinating fertile place where it's really an umbrella for all the different things that I can do. And some of the uh, some of the projects that I do under Fall on Your Sword are collaborative and some of them have a certain sound that I attribute to Foys. Yeah. I just, you know, as I've kind of got older, I guess I've kind of seen there being a natural separation of the two, you know, for me to kind of do certain things on my own mm. and certain things as Fall on Your Sword. It's also as there are more people working here and we get more into like the audio post worked yeah. and the people have sort of started to understand the identity more of what we are, it's, it's easier for me to kind of do something with my own name on it now.
0: It, it seems too, um, when, when you're talking about where you came from with the jazz roots to more of a techno, or, did you say techno or dance? It's a techno, yeah. Techno, I, I know this, there is a difference, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> a techno and then going to now something more uh, a hybrid and I, I hear that you know i was just listening obviously to like the I origins or even you know like the um we still secrets um i feel like you like to live in those two worlds and sometimes do you find that your directors the really the reason why you work on these projects is because of your background and and
1: i i think so i mean it's having a, a broad range of styles is kind of sometimes a blessing and a curse you know and yeah. people assume that I do a certain thing or that Fall On Your Sword does a certain thing um, when in actual fact it's kind of all over the place but because we've been doing this for quite a long amount of time there are so many different people that know us for so many different things that it's kind of worked out pretty well in the end you know there's one set of people that think that what I do is like acoustic indie rock and then another set of people that think I just do like electronic science fiction mindscapes, you know, so as long as those people keep calling, it doesn't really matter to me what they, (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's that tricky thing. I was always, when I was at university, like as a sort of struggling, starting out composer, I remember my tutors always saying like, just figure out the thing that you do and just do that and like, let that be the way that you get business because that's, that's what people want. They want simplicity. They want to know that you're the guy to call for a specific task. Clearly I totally ignored that advice and it's sort of, it's it's been a struggle, I think. It's a, certainly at the beginning of this endeavor of the company to try and sort of get people to understand what it is that we're capable of doing, but we've kind of like come out the other side it feels like. So.
0: Do you find that nowadays you don't have to do as much uh, legwork to get your, your music out there because of where we're at with? Different form, different websites, different you know ways of distribution. Did, uh, did you? I'm just looking at your projects, and it seems like you know there's a wide range of very high um, exposure projects, and then there's the smaller independent documentary style projects. What what do you find is is getting people's attention nowadays for your work?
1: Um, it really I don't know. It's all over the place. It's right across the board, I guess, and yeah. that sort of again it kind of goes back to the reason to have it all be called one thing you know it was important for me to be able to put everything in one place and have like one website one you know name to have it all go under but you know it's rather like the the film thing is done really well for us we'll have someone who sees another earth or someone who saw nobody walks or we still secrets and that a director will see one of those movies, and then we'll suddenly be making a campaign for a I don't know a car commercial, and you know, <laughs>
0: those car commercials—they always want those.
1: They sure do those <laughs> soundtracky scores. But um, yeah, you know that's I, I think right at the beginning for me, it was obviously YouTube was the way that like the, sure. the world really got out initially. Um, I feel like that's sort of really expanded into kind of every other territory at this point for us, which is great.
0: Yeah. And how are you finding just moving forward? Are you being more selective or are you still open to a lot of the commercial work? Obviously, you know, people say, oh, there's good money in commercial work. You know, I have a mixture of it. What to you is, you know, what was your uh, your 2015 kind of goals of, of how you want to attack this year with the work that you're
1: taking on? Yeah, I guess just it's all about always growth and always like doing, you know, good projects and interesting projects. But one thing that we did at the end of last year is I got a lot of satisfaction out of was uh, we got a call this is like a total holiday killer this job oh, okay. a call from Jose Cuervo right at the end of the year asking us to build a musical instrument, um, the company Old up. saw that so we we shot that here and we built it here next door to the Fall on your sword studios my wife has an art studio so we build a lot of these pieces and for like the last three or four years we've been building a lot of, like, interactive artwork that's music-driven and and sort of video-based. It's almost like an extension of the YouTube stuff that I was doing years ago. That I, I do a little bit less of that these days. Sure. This has kind of replaced it, I guess, and it's really satisfying for me, and I, I really enjoy it. And the uh, the Jose Cuervo thing was a lovely sort of, like, validation, like, oh, we can actually build something. Someone's going to pay us to do this. It's yeah. pretty fun. And, you know, it's... And it's really rewarding. So, I'd like to do more of that kind of stuff. I think, and there's not many companies I think that are actually able to take on that kind of project. So, we're trying to sort of position ourselves to do a lot more of that kind of work.
0: What do you find? You know, with all these options, it seems like you have you kind of figured out what what you like to have at your fingertips to work on. Now, with the, the foundry space and the forge space, both these these being available, what? Where do you kind of default to? What is your, where do you start when you're thinking about working on a project?
1: For me, I mean, I'm still, at the end of the day, I'm a composer. It's always about the music. The Forge and the Foundry are pretty much exclusively mixed spaces. I don't really, it's not really something that I do. So we have a a roster of guys who work for us that we, for certain projects, will pick, you know, certain guys to do, or, or sometimes those people bring their projects here. Um, and for us, like for me, the thing that's really satisfying about that is really just the traffic. I love there being filmmakers here all the time and things have happened, like lovely things have happened as a result of there just being people around and I think it's inspiring to them as well that this is such a creative space. There's a lot of stuff that's being made here, like all the time in all of these different areas. So... it. That's really the main that that was the reason for us to really kind of go down that road, as opposed to what would have in in some ways been more logical would have been to have like more composer rooms or something like that. You sure. know I didn't really that's not really what I wanted to do. I I came from a company that had that, you know, lots of like a rabbit war with lots of composers beavering away. I kind of liked the idea instead over here having like different disciplines happening at once and we can all kind of share and collaborate and do different stuff, so the fun stuff for me is, you know, when I'm scoring a movie and then it mixes next door and, and we can, like, really bounce backwards and forwards, like, that's that's great. That's a really fun thing there.
0: How How do you describe uh, that, I mean, Williamsburg is an amazing uh, community that hasn't, you know, or that has, you know, just a mixture of, like you're saying, of directors and artists and, and photographers and musicians. What, where do you see it, you know, feeding into kind of your vision for what you're trying to accomplish there with that space? It, you know, are there other spaces that you saw that you were inspired by that kind of is a... Um...
1: Um, not really. I think it's sort of as... It's more about the the opportunities and the projects. It's, it's literally just kind of chance, to be honest. Like, okay. we built this studio. We built another one because the space next door became available. That suddenly was like doing gangbusters and... You know, we're doing really well. And then I always wanted to have a studio next door to my wife, who's an incredible painter and like all her things are everywhere as well. Um, So that was the first thing that we built actually was we built three art studios and Sarah took one of them and then we rented out the other two. And then when we were ready to build the foundry, we moved her studio down the hall. The other two artists left and we kind of built the mix room. Um, oh, nice. But you know, I I feel like it was never it, it was never really dictated by where we were. We were able to do it because the space was here, you know. And yeah. I don't think that there would be any space like this left in Manhattan, to be honest. Um, and quite frankly, there's none left in Williamsburg either. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that we got the last bit of commercial real estate, um, well, which is kind of crazy.
0: So you're not you're not moving anytime soon, basically. We're not. No, we're lucky
1: enough to have a very long lease. There's a lot of um, crazy stuff that's going on on our street the buildings are changing hands for crazy amounts of money but we have a we have a 10-year lease so we're we're set straight for a while.
0: Fantastic and how do you find is that something that you've always had in your life of being close and having access to your work and being able to work I mean what is your typical if you had a typical day what would that look like?
1: Um, I mean, I just come in and write whatever it is that I need to write. You, know? <laughs> you, you put the money in the in the machine, and out pops the song, up, right? Out pops the song. That's yeah. basically what happens. <laughs> you know, every day is different. It's it's one of the great thrills of having this this place and like being able to kind of answer the phone to some crazy request and be able to take care of it. So, you know, right now I'm finishing the album for Going Clear, um, which is a lovely sort of ending to a project. I, I try to do a soundtrack album for almost every film that I score. Um, yeah. It's a really cathartic way of sort of ending the project, I guess. So I'm doing that. I'm finishing another movie for Alex right now as well that's going to South by Southwest. Um, nice. It's about Steve Jobs. I just finished the pilot. Um, and we're building another art piece for a show that opens next month, um, for Spring Break Art Show that we do every year. It's during the Armory Art Week. Oh, nice! So that's happening. So yeah, just like it's mental. Just
0: well, I mean, it's, I imagine you're the type of person that likes to stay busy and not have much downtime.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I'm when how, how much how much downtime do you require to actually, you know, in between projects, do you? Find that it is at all helpful, or where do you where do you go to take a break or find inspiration?
1: Um, we don't really take breaks. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, my wife and I will go home and we'll probably talk about the next thing that we're about to do. Or yeah. like, you know, I build a lot of the pieces with her, and I help her, you know, with her work as well. Um, it's all consuming, I guess. Okay. And that's the way I like it, and I've always been that way. And I think I kind of go crazy if it isn't that way, mm-hmm. um, need to be occupied. So whether it's by design or not, we, we tend to just have like projects overlap and pile on top of each other and and that's what keeps it interesting to me.
0: What um, other composers, musician, artists do you find inspiring or do you enjoy or are you into right now?
1: What um, comes to mind? what comes to mind? I'm listening to a lot of Chet Baker right now. I think that's because I'm uh, nice. <laughs> having to kind of chill the kid out every night, so
0: uh-huh.
1: Chet, Baker, Chet Baker Sings is a, is a good standby. I mean, my music taste is kind of all over the place. I um, kind of still can't stop listening to the presets and the Kanye record from last year. Okay. And, you know, tons of scores. I'll always listen to a soundtrack or two, like, you know, cooking dinner and Listen to some Morricone, so.
0: Oh, I, nice. How how do you find that? Just you know, your work translating when when whatever you create and you're mixing or or, or I should say, well, let me start with this. Where is your rec- Where do you tend to record? You know, for your Are you able to accomplish all that at your studio space there?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, pretty much entirely. I we just uh, got a place in LA actually, and I'm building a studio there right now, so okay. that'll be another place that will probably be based for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I have like a specific palette that I kind of tend to always lean towards when I'm writing, whether or not that ends up being the thing that ends up in the finished result is another thing, but I'll I'll always pretty much exclusively start on the piano and, you know, then kind of... I, I started out life as a horn player, as a saxophone player, so yeah. there's always a bit of woodwind in there as well, but Every project has its own unique thing that I try to kind of stumble on. So, whether that's a sound or an instrument or a chord progression, you know, there always has to be inspiration. There always has to be that sort of eureka moment for me, which sometimes happens immediately, and sometimes I really bang my head against the wall as we all do. But um, you know, I get there in the end.
0: What do you find, you know, working on these? I mean, in the documentary world, just focusing on that for a second, it seems that the level of documentaries that you're working on is is that of you're working with theatrical releases or projects that are theatrical releases, then VOD, and then you know they kind of go on to live another life. Do you find the process any different for those than than some? Since of the doing a narrative,
1: yeah. Um, I I don't. I treat them very much in the same way. I, I still, you know, I particularly with the directors that I've worked with, Alex Gibney is very, his his scores are always very cinematic, his movies are very cinematic, right. it's kind of driven by a kind of um, intentional, sort of sometimes suspenseful narrative, um, and as a result I feel like the scores end up being that way too. Um, but I guess the main thing for me is that they end up being there's just a lot more music in a doc, you know. Like, I think with um, with We Still Secrets, it ended up being like just under two hours of school, so writing yeah. opera, you know, it's ridiculous. And you'd have thought that some of that can just sort of live in the background, um, but honestly, I, it doesn't. It, to me, that's just kind of pointless. I want everything to be treated like like it would be if it was in the foreground, you know. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of thematically driven and Complex and nuanced, and and Alex has a real attention to detail with those things, and he gets really into the the soundtrack side of things, which is great for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just dense, I guess, when you're doing a dark, sort of narrative.
0: Yeah, and, and what do you find when you get to the point of, kind of the the run of these films of nowadays? Are you, are you finding that? You're excited about the theatrical release. Are you excited about the soundtrack release. What what to you is kind of the payoff? Is there a payoff even when you finish a project?
1: Yeah, I mean it's always exciting to go to that first screening, to go to the premiere, to see it live online, you know, and to see the record get out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you know people stumble on these movies a couple of years later, and that that's lovely too. You know, people discover the work down the road, and that's that's equally as satisfying. So, it really, just depends.
0: Well, and what is your your current kind of, uh, studio setup? What what monitors and systems um, do you like to use?
1: Um, I have two sets of monitors. I have the uh, the Janalac GLM, the little ones, yep. with the sub connected to it, and a pair of the atoms, which I feel like are two very different colors, which is kind of useful for me. Um, and then I have this crazy, and if you can see, but I have this crazy thing, CP seventy, which is a it's an old. Um, Yamaha Grand. I bought it from Paddy Smith's piano player, and he wired it for MIDI, so oh, nice. hammers and stuff inside it, and it's great, so I'll like write my scr- strings with that. And, um, got that about a year ago. Love that thing. Behind that is a CS80 as well, which is a monster um, polyphonic synth from the 70s. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's lots of... I. I try to get out of the box as much as possible. I have a little amp in the back that's called a champ, the Fender Champ.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: It will send a lot of synths, or like some of the kind of more electronic sounds will always go through that, just because I feel like it benefits from having a bit of air. And then in my live room in there, um, there's a, I don't know, seven saxophones, and a set of vibes, and a drum kit, and lots of guitars, and you know, lots of really weird instruments as well, because like I said, I try to always have one thing that's kind of specific to a film. It's it's helpful for me, I guess, to kind of use that as a way to get inspired. Um, I just bought Dalsimer for the movie that I'm doing right now.
0: And w- w- was that intentional, or was that kind of forcing yourself to
1: try to go down that path? Um, it's a little bit of both. I, yeah. I have a guy in the West Village who has like a crazy collection of stuff, and I'll always like go to him to find something, especially if it's like an ethnic thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's great to like learn an instrument for the sake of it too. I did a film a few years ago where I decided I wanted lots of uh, horn pads, like kind of flugelhorn pads. So I went out and bought a flugelhorn, and <laughs> I'm probably the worst trumpet player you've listened yeah. to. You know, it's like, I just want long notes. How hard can it be? <clears throat> I mean, there's
0: nothing like, you know, grabbing like a hurdy-gurdy or something, just really yeah. obscure and, and totally bastardizing the performance. Complete.
1: I feel like I've made a career out of playing lots of instruments fairly mediocrely.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think it's working out though pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, with this, you know, with your year ahead, what projects that um, can you share that you're working on that are, that are coming down the pipe?
1: Um, I'm not sure that I can, but there are, there's a pilot that I'm working on that will probably see the light of day next month, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, and the the going clear. Soundtrack album, the movie that I'm doing with Alex right now is, is about Steve Jobs. That's mm-hmm. um, coming out at South by Southwest, so that's another doc, But yeah, it's, um, it's pretty interesting. So that's been that's been fun.
0: And, and how far can you project? Even that, where you, how much work, or I mean, how do you project? I mean, because these projects do go on for a long time, if not years.
1: I can kind of see a few things on the horizon that I know will come here for their post, and they're probably you know three or four months away. So, okay. in that sense, um, you can kind of predict it. But then you know the phone will ring and some crazy thing will appear. So who knows?
0: That you can't say no to, and then it's uh, we, right in front of you.
1: Again, we've made we've also made a career out of not really saying no to anyone about anything. So,
0: well, w- what is it that you that you enjoy most? Uh, um... About this lifestyle, because you know, I I have opportunities to talk with different composers, whether it's video games or uh, movies or you know just recording artists, and it seems that everyone there's the commonality I find is that we're s- somewhat okay with with this this type of lifestyle, which I you know people say, oh, the life of an artist is you know this like this vagabond, this this bohemian, but it besides being in Williamsburg it sounds like you know you could be any you could be in any of the major pockets it's oh. true
1: yeah i mean we we treat this as a very not rigid but i guess it's we treat everything as professionally as we possibly could so i'm here at like 8:30 in the morning and i punch out at 6 or 7 at night depending on how mental Things are. Sometimes I'm here till midnight, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's like a big board in the office that has like every day written out for the month and what is getting done and who's doing what. So it's it's definitely because we have so much going on, it has to be quite organized and. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's oh, good. I'm glad. it's Good to hear. To make sure that stuff actually gets done. <laughs> but you know, I for me, like the satisfaction is coming to work every day. Like I I still kind of can't really believe my luck that I'm able to mess about making noises for a living it's it's wonderful so i i'm really happy that that's happened i guess you know so the satisfaction still just comes from being able to create and eat from it like that's it's still a real novelty to me it's one
0: i mean do you scale up to uh you know a larger orchid orchestra, what's the largest you tend to try to go to or have the opportunity to work with?
1: Um, It's generally just small ensembles that I tend to kind of track. I I do a lot of like jiggery-pokery with like overdubbing quartets and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have kind of a go-to set of guys that I always use. Um, Thus far, no larger ensembles than like probably five or six people at a time. Okay. But hopefully that will change. Um, that's part of the goal of being in LA as well to kind of have some access to some of those crews.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Are Are you the type of person that you, you can wear both hats? You can be a composer, a producer, an engineer. Do you tend to be on the board when you're tracking? Where, where do you find yourself? Are you Are you doing everything or just one thing?
1: I'm generally doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, I have an assistant, but we, uh, we have similar skill sets, and I, yeah, you know, nice. part of kind of discovering the sound of a film or of a project is in its production, so I feel like I have to, through necessity, kind of be involved in that process. Like I get inspired by a, a sound as much as a melody or a chord progression, so I don't know. Yeah,
0: It's awesome. important. Well, Will, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I, I think for people to see the space, they should definitely check it out. It looks like it's um, fallinyoursword.com and you can see both of these mixed studios. Do, do you consider your studios private? Are they public? What's.
1: You know, the right characters can come on by. <laughs> <laughs> make an appointment.
0: Yeah, make an appointment. Um, and where else can people go to, to listen, obviously you have work on iTunes, and a, do you have a SoundCloud presence? or?
1: Um, we don't, but there's a ton of stuff on our YouTube channel, um, so that's, that's also accessible through, through the website. Fantastic. Well
0: Will, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, and um, I look forward to checking out some of these projects that are coming down the pipe, it seems already you have a busy year ahead of you. and Sure do. It's going to be fun one. That's good though.
1: Yeah, can't complain.